Yeah, but just again, don't tell us how quixotic is pronounced. <laughs> <laughs> because the answer is quixotic. <laughs> Welcome back to Are You Watching Closely? I'm Spencer Channel. And I'm Mallory Strom. Uh, I'm a composer, writer, and IMDb nerd. I'm an artist and mathematician, and I use Netflix as a nightlight. And the unexamined film is not worth watching. So it is not. <laughs> <laughs> the unexamined film is not worth watching. Um, is it Socrates who said the unexamined life is not worth living? I think Socrates. I think. <laughs> the idea being that like, if you don't think about your life, if you're not paying close attention and, and trying to make something of it all, then uh, it's not worth the cost of having spent life not examining it. Yep. Um, <laughs> and if you're not paying attention to the film and television that if you're watching it's maybe not worth the uh why watch it yeah it What's takes so point? much time who knows but uh <laughs> that's the idea of our show basically in a, in a very confrontational kind of yeah. way uh in case that's what you came here for i don't know <laughs> uh we get get we we gain more value from our favorite film and tv episodes by watching them closely and then yeah. discussing them together afterwards uh -huh. um, and breaking them down for the things that we enjoyed and trying to pinpoint uh, stuff that we can take away from them. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So organic discussion, close viewing, mm -hmm. uh, that's our show. Yeah, and personal closeness. Yeah, yeah, watching, yeah, because it breeds more intimate viewing. Yeah. Yeah, because we both see things uh, then and we know the things each other are seeing. Yeah, of course, yeah. all that stuff. All right, so our show today, uh, we're breaking down <laughs> episode two of Arrested Development. Yeah, Arrested Development season one, episode two, top banana. Wow. Uh, it's yeah. so dense. <laughs> so dense. Like, mind-blowingly dense. And all of the jokes are, if they're not immediately strung up against each other, they're related to something else that happens in the episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, either via just, like, wordplay or, like, you know, similar concepts that uh -huh. are, yeah. It's so internally consistent. and and So it just feels like it's all part of the same fabric, um, even though there's so many things going on. So it's, like, it's hard uh -huh. to keep track of in a way, but at the same time, like, very... It feels very clear in uh -huh. a way, too. And that makes it so rewarding to watch as well. Yeah. Even while you're, like, like barely hanging along. Because you have to, like, keep up. Uh-huh. And if you're able to keep up and you get the jokes, you know, yeah. then, then it feels like almost like you, you accessed something special. Mm -hmm. In addition to just, like, the jokes being funny. Yeah. God. Where to begin? Because, like... <laughs> There's just so much. Maybe just the very beginning. So the show is from early 2000s. I guess it's like, I'd put it at like maybe 2003. I can't remember exactly. I think that's it. Um, 2003 is when it started. Mitchell Hurwitz is the showrunner. Like it really is not a good thing to watch um, mm -hmm. if I'm looking for like something to, you know, like restore my faith in humanity or... Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> to like remind me of my who I am, you know? Yeah, or to like give you a moment of order in a, a, a sea of chaos. <laughs> like, like restoring trust. Uh-huh. <laughs> nope, nope. Not gonna happen. This is not the show for any of that. <laughs> Which is why I'm like, I hope Mitchell Hurwitz is doing okay. Because like, he, this is his brainchild um, and it makes my brain sick. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, let's start with something simple, which is, like, um, the, like, medium and the structure of the medium. We, it's easy to take for granted in 2019 because there are so many different TV shows that have adopted this format. But in its day, Arrested Development was really groundbreaking in the way that it structured its storylines using documentary film as the medium. Mm. Um, and there's all kinds of different kinds of footage in Arrested Development that makes a lot of sense now, but back in the early 2000s was, was pretty confusing just on its own. Like we switched between, um, like archive footage from the news, family videos, security camera footage. And then like, it's almost like there's this documentary crew following the family around documenting uh-huh. their lives. And there's a narrator and obviously there's like some team that's like editing it together. Uh-huh. Um, and that concept was still fairly new in the early two thousands. Um, and the office really popularized it and made it like, you know, more mm. accessible. Yeah. But I think Arrested Development was really pushing the envelope um, just in its form. Like it's easy to take for granted now, but right. And I, I can imagine even, especially being as fast paced as it is with all of these documentary techniques, it would be especially difficult to follow, even if, you know, you had already seen a bit of The Office, if you weren't familiar um, with a, a kind of documentary style show that went quite that fast and and. and was quite that dense. Yeah. The office even like holds your hand a lot more than Arrested Development does. Right. I mean, Arrested Development is really breakneck pace and like we'll cut away to a totally different medium, like a family video for like two seconds Mm -hmm. to capture a single moment. And then we cut right back and it takes, it takes just a really fast processing of like, where are we? And like, what is, what is this form? You know what I mean? Yeah. And the other thing that makes it feel less like a documentary and a little bit less stable is that you don't get the, like, confessionals with characters. It's just, here's the things that are happening, and and you got to kind of figure out what's going on with the characters without them telling you. Sure. But but then the benefit Arrested Development gives you is that there's a narrator who can clue you into those, you know, important details. And And can be even a little bit more on point about the characters than than a a character could be in their own confessional. Yeah, which almost makes it feel like the documentarians have an agenda. Like, it almost feels like, (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean? Because there's such a a strong voice that, like, is is so quick to contradict characters and to, like, show them in their worst light. It's Uh almost like the documentarians want to show just how corrupt this, this rich family is Mm. um which makes it feel kind of voyeuristic it makes it feel kind of like you know like ah we got them in a way it's almost like you side with the documentarian Uh uh-huh and later in the show there's a a gag where there is an actual documentary film crew kind of trying to do this got thing with tobias and like some other characters in in the show and so that echoes the, the the overarching style of the show as a whole. Yeah, definitely. But I think the documentary crews within the show are sort of presented in an absurd way 
Whereas like the documentarian we're meant to trust, which is the narrator, like it, I think it's less absurd. I think the narrator is almost like a rock of sanity and like stability that like we can trust that when he, when he shows us something, then like it, you know, it's, it's, it's just to point out like a, a character's hypocrisy or like an inconsistency or like, you know, and it's humorous, like characters contradicting themselves is funny um, uh-huh. because it's a form of subversion. But like, I think really, you know, we trust, we trust Ron Howard. We really do. We yeah. trust Opie. We trust, uh, you know, Ron Howard has been like in, uh, America's homes on America's TV since <laughs> he was a little kid. Uh-huh. And we followed him growing up through like music man and the Andy Griffith show. And, um, I feel like the fact that it's Ron Howard too, like makes it almost, uh, it's almost perfect. Cause he's like a filmmaker who's also like, a trustworthy sort of celebrity. You yeah, know? I can see that. All right, stepping back from that, let's talk about just comedy in the first place <laughs> because Arrested right. Development is like, a, it, it is a successful comedy. The jokes are so funny. Um, and I think because of, it's because of a lot of things. One of them is that like, they're so um, like economic Um, it uses the form of like narrator and, and, and archival footage and documentary filmmakers uh, beautifully because then the narrator can contradict the characters and the characters can contradict themselves and various other moments in time. And the documentary footage can contradict the characters. Exactly. All in the service of subversion. And I think that so much of what this show accomplishes comedically is constantly subverting um, these manipulative characters who lie all the time and are super petty and all, all actions that are inherently subversive um, mm. and that you can easily contradict. Like in the pilot episode, which we didn't watch, but it's so relevant, the pilot episode when, when, when Lucille says, you know, I love all my children equally. Cut to earlier that day, she's at lunch and she says, mm, I don't really care for Job. Uh-huh. Like, clearly she's lying. Clearly she's manipulating. And all we have to do to make that funny is to show her in the act and catch her, you know. And we know as an audience, now we have this, like, dramatic irony going where we know she's, you know, totally full of malarkey. And, and, you know, we can watch her continue to to navigate this lie. Uh, I love all my children equally, you know, and see if she is able to, you know, maintain the lie or not. Right. And she does that again in the second episode when she's on the phone and Michael walks in and says, Oh, you're talking to dad. And she says, no, I'm talking to Job. (laughs) Even though she just said like, well, if you like ice cream sandwiches so much, why don't you marry one? Right. (laughs) And we know that, George Bluth is into ice cream sandwiches now for uh, some reason. Because he was eating one in the opening, uh, uh-huh. yeah, in the opening scene. So we have evidence that she's talking to her husband. Michael has evidence that she's talking to her husband. She doesn't lie very convincingly. <laughs> and then later, she trips over that same lie again, and she says, "Oh, I was talking to Job this morning," and Michael says. Mm. Don't you mean like right when I was walking in? And she said, oh, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like that, that's so much of, of the humor is Lucille Bluth just like contradicting herself within five minutes. Yeah. And every character contradicting themselves, Lucille right. especially. But then there's also like the narrator contradicts reality too. It's really funny because the narrator will subvert 
um, characters, like characters intentions um, will show that they're like not really doing the thing that would be healthy. Um, like with George Michael, um, George Michael, uh, you know, is in this situation where his cousin maybe, uh, is, you know, sharing his room now and, uh-huh. uh, he's got a big crush on her and mm-hmm. their cousins yeah. forbidden love, but he can't help it. And it's not going well. And so the narrator says, and so George Michael decided to face his problems head on cut to George Michael in the kitchen. He says to his dad, I want to work more hours at the banana stand. I.e. not facing his problems head on. <laughs> right, right. Not confronting the issue, not communicating with anyone involved or like establishing boundaries or... Right. Not even asking for help. No. <laughs> Just <laughs> totally like sublimating his issues and turning to something else as a, as a distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, and the narrator points that out, which is what makes that so humorous. Right. And I've got more. I've got more. Uh, you know, Lindsay, uh, Lindsay talks about how like she and... Roger Danish in high school always had the best hair and they were, you know, they beat Michael for, for nerdiest. And then like uh-huh. the, you know, the narrator, as we, as we sort of scan over the the pages of the yearbook with Michael uh, in the category of like most likely to succeed or something. Exactly. Most likely to succeed. The narrator says Lindsay's accomplishments always overshadowed Michael's in high school. Uh-huh. <laughs> and like in the world of this story, like that's kind of true. Like, Lindsay is smiling and all bright and energetic in her yearbook photo. And Michael is like, looks like he doesn't want to be in the yearbook. (laughs) Michael looks like a deer in headlights. He looks Uh like he's internalized so much pain and like stress over the years. Right. You you can imagine he probably wouldn't feel proud of being most likely to succeed because of all of the stuff he was (laughs) steeped in. Which like the show takes a critical lens towards like both character like Lindsay who is like delusional and like blissfully ignorant and like Mm -hmm. thinks of herself as an activist and like prioritizes her beauty and you know and then Michael like it takes critical lens on a character like Lindsay but it also criticizes a character like Michael who like enables his family by absorbing all of the stress of their situations and like tricks himself into thinking he's like restoring order in some way um, when he really just causes more destruction for his family and for himself Uh um, and then takes on the responsibility of, of the problems that like they cause, you know? Mm -hmm. And even when he tries to create a life for his son, that's better than the life that his family gave him. It kind of backfires. Like he says, all right, George Michael, let's burn down the banana stand. It'll be cathartic. It'll be a thing that we do together. We'll bond over it and you can have a more free life because of it. Mm-hmm. And he burns down $250,000. <laughs> and so like for Michael being like the straight man, right? Michael is the the character in the show, the protagonist who we are meant to sort of sympathize with. And I think of all the characters in the show, he is the most understandable like we, we he's the one we want to relate with most because he's just like he's a guy like trying to uh make things better he's doing his best and he's misguided and he you know he he's being lied to and he's he's easily manipulated right but his intentions are to like you know be the good guy um even though that's kind of a delusion in itself too. Like a lot of the things he does are self-serving so he can feel like he's a good guy mm-hmm. as opposed to like actually trying to, you know, improve everything for, for everyone in the family and including himself. But um, of everyone, I think he is the most relatable. Yeah. I think he's also the most understated. 
like every other character in the show has some sort of like extremely exaggerated quirk about them. There's Lindsay and and her like almost avant-garde fashion, at least avant-garde for the world of fashion that the show sets itself in. Sure. There's George Michael, who's kind of exaggerated in his youth and like teenage insecurities. There's Tobias, who's exaggerated in so many ways in this episode in particular with his, his failure as an actor. Yeah. Right. All these characters, I mean, all these characters have very specific, um, traits, um, for sure. And very specific like tactics. Um, but I think like the thing you're thinking of is like absurdity, right? Like, like when you say exaggerated, you mean like a lot of the characters in the show are absurdly, you know, it's so much themselves. Sure. And, and Michael strikes me as, as someone who just has less absurdity in his character, mm-hmm. um, which I think is part of what makes him more relatable than the rest because it doesn't take as much of a conceptual leap to imagine him as a person or imagine <laughs> him as yourself. Yeah. And the sympathetic thing about Michael is that also like he, he, his kind of his damage, you know, is relatable. Like mm. his damage is like he, he, th- he's sort of quixotic, he thinks that there's like, uh, uh, that if he just tries hard enough, um, you know, that he'll be able to fix things and he'll be able to have like the, the happy family he wants. Um, and his damage is he lost his wife. So he's like trying to like restore a family that he lost. Um, but then that desire kind of, um, comes out sideways in him just like enabling his family members to totally take advantage of him. Um, right. Yeah. And um, side note, you just said uh, Quixotic to make it sound like Don Quixote. It's typically pronounced Quixotic and we know that and you don't have to write in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm very particular about that. Actually, I, I don't say Quixotic because that's yeah. just ridiculous. We're talking about Don Quixote. Can you imagine Don Quixote? Oh, God. So we've established how these super tight, efficient jokes are structured with subversion, but can we talk about how they're layered on top of each other into this like dense, like crystalline structure of humor? That's such a good description of Arrested Development just as a whole show. And like the fan base is still trying to find, okay, like I've seen the show all the way through maybe five or six times. Uh Uh-huh. Can Um, confirm. Yeah, I maybe that's a problem, but like <laughs> the fan base is still trying to uh, discover all these Easter eggs. Like, there's still we all have a sense that there's still so much more t- that we haven't noticed um, mm. from like you know the the like bus stop benches, uh, you know, saying things like "we brain" and "arm off" and the foreshadowing of Buster losing his hand. Oh man! Um, I mean, all of these things are are just there's so many things we're still just reveling over. Um, uh-huh. And I'm sure there's still more that, that, you know, no one has picked up on yet. And you talk about the, the benches and like, there's stuff on buses. There are so many parts of the show that have to be designed. And what works really well is that they're all designed to fit within the, the comedy of the show and to fit within like every single beat that happens. It's crazy how specific and cohesive this like story world is. Uh-huh. There's like not a single thing that's just like 
thrown away or just picked because couldn't think of anything else. Right. Like this is, oh, this is silly. Let's do this. It's like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, well it's silly, but it also is connected to this, this, this and that, you know? Right. Even like Job can't get his magic trick to work at the end of the, of this episode. And it was a fireball magic trick because the entire episode has fire in it. <laughs> I did not even realize that. <laughs> I didn't realize that. He can't get his fire to, to fire because... Right. And, <laughs> and, like, even with that, like, he doesn't get to be welcomed into the company. He doesn't really get to be welcomed into the family. He feels like an outsider in this episode, and he doesn't even get to participate in the fire that everyone else in the episode gets to participate well, in. Well, he does, though. That's his arc, is, like, his fire trick doesn't work uh, as he's looking at the ocean, and then, like, he burns down the banana stand with George Michael and with Michael. Does he really, though? He I does. think he just, like, comes up on a segue at the end. I think it's cathartic for Job. Like, I think, sure. I think Job feels like he's a part of that. Uh-huh. But did he... He also, like, never got to work at the banana stand. And maybe that's part of the catharsis. Oh, interesting. Especially, like, he comes into frame from the side on his little segue. <laughs> and Michael says... You mailed that insurance check, didn't you? <laughs> and he exits frame backwards on his Segway through the side of the frame again. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What a great comedic tool, too. That goes all the way back to Buster Keaton. Like oh, yeah? it, that the, Using the you know dimensions of the frame as comedy, characters moving side to side um, and forward and back, uh, and using every dimension of the frame as a, as a tool for, like, a character to have a funny entrance mm. um, or a funny exit. And Job has a funny exit in that moment, swiveling around with his Segway and going just out past through the depths of the frame and Michael running after him yeah. with George Michael watching in the foreground. Um, and that happens all the time in the, in the, in the episode actually where characters are like revealed in, like they have very funny entrances and exits. Oh yeah. Like Job where Job is like at the fridge. Um, and he, you know, has this moment where he's revealed in the kitchen. We didn't know he was even in this scene. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and then suddenly he says your business and then like closes the fridge door and here's Job. Um, mm -hmm. and then, you know, like the moment when maybe is lying on the floor behind the couch. Yeah. Job is like sprawled on the couch. We have all these different, like, oh, suddenly this character was here the whole time and all it takes is for us to like, you know, tilt up a little bit. And we notice that that's their nose and their face there, you know? Yeah. You, you've mentioned before that sitcom sets have a lot of doors in them yeah. because it makes for a lot of entrances and exits that can be very comedic arrested development doesn't have as many doors in it as like friends does arrested development makes so much better use of these other like funny places to enter from like the fridge door or like between the couch and the wall <laughs> or just like the side of the frame or like the bokeh in the background like when Michael chases Job out of frame, he just chases Job into the blur in the background. Yeah, you know? right. Which it's, is a sufficient exit. Yeah, it's a threshold between right. foreground and background. And as long yeah. as there's a threshold for a comedic character to cross in a way that's funny, like it works. And you're totally right. They make super creative ways to create those thresholds uh -huh. beyond just like a simple doorway. Yeah. So much like creative humor, um, physical humor, um, but then also like wordplay, um, and there's so many different like w like wordplay so interwoven in this episode in particular about like the fire sale and mm -hmm. the guy being a flamer uh -huh. and uh, setting fire to the banana stand. Like there's all of this, and, and what is the the uh, 
Banana. Oh, uh, Bananas Foster. Bananas Foster. <laughs> yeah. Exactly like that, yeah. All these fire jokes um, that, that, that go throughout the episode that, mm-hmm. like, the wordplay uh, is there, too, in, in addition to the physical comedy. Right. Not to mention um, actor pole uh, and oh, yeah. character pole, which, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. it's kind of a one-off thing. But Look at all these parts. <laughs> it's the same... Like form of joke as the the later the the like bus stop benches in later episodes where like mm-hmm. you know it's a word but part of the word is cut off so it looks like it's a different word mm-hmm. um, and characters mistake it you know for this or that yeah and e- even that that joke about tractor pull actor pull is look at all these parts <laughs> right look at all these parts and they they're not like self contained because of course. The real joke is that he's staring at this, like, useless magazine that's not for actors and sitting right next to an open audition, like, flyer. Which is subversion. Uh-huh, when which he, realizes he it, had, yeah. hasn't noticed. Yeah, well, it's also so important to the characters. Like, all the jokes further characters' arcs um, and are interwoven with, like... You can watch mm-hmm. them, you know, on, on embark on real stories and not just like loosely strung together jokes that happen in some sort of lower brow sitcoms where yeah. like there's not really characters with goals and you can't really, you know, it's it's just sort of more about having funny gags. Uh-huh. Arrested Development does this great job of like the characters having really clear intentions and you can follow their tactics and within like... Aaron Sorkin would say, like, that's the clothesline on which they hang all of this humor, mm-hmm. which is, you know, what makes the show entertaining. Uh, in addition to the compelling character arcs, even though the characters are absurd um, and even though it's all just very heightened and uh, ridiculous, as most sitcoms are. Yeah, exactly. Maybe one more thing that might be relevant is how little information we as an audience need to get the joke. Like when Michael, the moment I'm thinking of is when Michael pulls the dead dove out of the fridge. It's a bag. It says dead dove, do not eat, which is already funny. (laughs) (laughs) And then Michael picks it up. He looks in it. We get this like absolutely hilarious, like facial reaction well, it's just deadpan, really. Right, which is absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, right. And he says, well, I don't know what I expected. <laughs> and so we already know there's a dead dove in there, and we can like travel into the next bit of the scene armed with that knowledge and see the absurd story that got us to that point. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting because the thing you just said, like, yeah, that's that that's so simple. It's so straightforward and it's very funny. But the way that Michael, the way that Jason Bateman delivers that line of like I don't know what I expected is less like, well, I don't know what I expected. Like it's not vaudeville. Like it's right. not it's not overdone. It's so underplayed where he's like mm. You know, like it's, it's like this, the whole show, it's not a, it's not a a multicam sitcom, you know, Mm -hmm. where, um, in case you don't know, a multicam sitcom is where like uh, the, the comedy takes place all on a set in front of a live audience. There are multiple cameras filming the set at the same time. Sitcoms like Frasier, Seinfeld, Big Bang Theory, 
Um, I'm trying to think of more examples, but a multicam sitcom is basically, it has a laugh track, it has a live audience, it's multiple cameras, it uh, basically filmed like a theater. This is a single cam sitcom where they have sets that go all the way around um, and scenes are filmed with like one, maybe two cameras at a time, capturing very specific moments and then edited together without a laugh track uh, because the comedy is in... Uh, is already there and doesn't need the help of people laughing to tell you that it's supposed to be funny. Sorry, I have a thing against multicam sitcoms. Um, I don't like them as much. That's a, that's just a personal preference. But Bojack Horseman does a really good job of like criticizing uh, multicam sitcoms. Mm. Um, and I mean, the whole show is about how like this this multicam sitcom star's life was ruined and his careers in shambles because like he had you know smoke blown up his butt because of you know everyone thought he was a much bigger star than he was and uh-huh. part of that is in like the artifice of the multicam sitcom oh yeah um which is so interesting but this is a single cam sitcom mm-hmm. um and the humor is so sort of underplayed uh, expertly um and you know it's it, i think it would be really off-putting if this show were overplayed in any way um, mm. you know, like the, the, all the actors do an incredible job of just being very genuine, um, and authentic to like who their character is and delivering their lines as their character would. There's no like tongue in cheek. There's no like self-awareness about it. Um, mm-hmm. there's no like self-commentary in the way that Rick and Morty does self-commentary. We talked about Rick and Morty recently in their self-commentary. Arrested Development, the characters are just really genuinely themselves. Um, and that makes the comedy so much funnier. I think it would be worse if, if anyone was like, ha ha, I'm, you know, I'm so-and-so like, you know, there's this mm-hmm. whole thing about like Tobias genuinely th- is so delusional that he's like in an actor's life. Like, you know, it, it's, not, <laughs> it's not a, it's not a ploy. It's not a play. It's literally just Tobias is, is so misguided um, uh-huh. that he literally thinks that the fire sale commercial is about a fire. And when he's told otherwise, uh, can't uh reconcile the cognitive dissonance of of him having misunderstood the call sheet and so like just sticks with what he originally thought and and that's the comedy is he's just so genuinely delusional and and unable to adapt (laughs) right which of course makes him an excellent character for a sitcom oh yeah but, you know, the sitcom, the purpose of Rest of Development is not to make commentary about sitcoms as much as it is to just really use the form in, 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 to its fullest extent that it can, mm-hmm. um, using all the parameters it's set up for itself. Um, at least in earlier seasons, doesn't try to be self-aware. Mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that starts happening in the, in the later seasons produced by Netflix is that it starts being sort of hokey and, and, and self-aware. And, you yeah. know, where he says, like, um, I think it's that very line actually later in the show, Michael says like, there's always money to bid in a stand. What is that from? Is that from something? And I'm like, that's not a rest development joke. That's a mm. different sitcom joke. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's, it, it, it's the thing that Netflix did a little bit with stranger things as well. It is that the show gets nostalgic about itself. Like Bojack. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked about kind of just the documentary structure and sort of the narrative position, right? Like the narrator, mm-hmm. it's almost like the narrator, the documentarian is trying to uh, 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 reveal to us the corruption of this family. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about like the family and the like, I mean, what what is basically the essential sort of 
themes of the show. Right. Um, because his family is so unlikable. Mm-hmm. They're just horrible. It's <laughs> dreadful. It's <laughs> I mean, cringy. And... I remember watching like a, some, uh, you know, behind the scenes featurette about Arrested Development and how like Mitchell Hurwitz, one of Mitchell Hurwitz's main concerns was, was that this family would be just too unlikable that like, people wouldn't enjoy even watching the show in the first place. Mm-hmm. And they really are, they're hard to sympathize with um, because like they're manipulative. They're, they're really stupid, gullible, petty um and just like money obsessed uh-huh like in a very real sense this sitcom turns a very critical lens um in a way that so many other sitcoms try and show just like white people having fun and being lighthearted and being like, just like, there's so many things you take for granted. Like they're so wealthy and so comfortable that their lives consist of all of these ridiculous gags that like, they never have to face the damages for, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and arrested development, like the whole concept of the show turns that kind of on its head where it's the fact that these white people are so comfortable and have no consequences for their actions that they, they, they end up just kind of antagonizing each other mm-hmm. because they have no antagonist apart from like escaping fraud charges and like all of these things where like, they're clearly doing things that are very wrong uh-huh. and illegal and ethically questionable. And yet <laughs> they're able to, to maintain their, their, their upper echelon wealthy lifestyle and be totally awful to each other um, without having to really uh, face the consequences of, of how horrible they are. Right. And not even like the social consequences of how horrible they are. Like we're not privy to any general view of the Bluth family as unlikable or corrupt among the other characters in the world of the story. If anything, other characters in the story want to like lick their boots. Like there's some right. characters who, yeah, they, they, they need a job or they want, yeah. Yeah. And so, so in the world of this story, like the Bluth family, you know, they can be as arbitrarily morally questionable, like as morally questionable as they like, and they won't be unseated from power. They're, it's just the, their default state is, is being the social elite. Arrested Development is like, no, these are really terrible people and here they are being awful and I'm going to call them out for their manipulation and their lies and their, their pettiness. And we're going to see them totally on display. Um, and there's still humor in that, you know, that's the big accomplishment of this show. I think is that like the characters are, are so inherently unlikable, um, for everybody who isn't like them, you know? Um, even, even white people who aren't like them, like I, my stomach churns watching the show. Cause I'm like, I just, there's just so horrendous. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't, I don't sympathize with them. Like I don't identify with them. Um, but there is a certain population I think of, of white folks who are in this like very wealthy sheltered situation where they can, uh, just never, they never have to grow, you know? Um, and they can just keep abusing power and abusing each other, um, without yeah. having to, uh, change. Yeah. And I, I think what's really interesting is that you said it's still funny. And I think the the way it does that is through this voice of reason in Ron Howard so that the show can make these jokes based on absurdity and based on like a completely uh, unbelievable 
premise or or completely illogical premise and we're able to see the humor in that every single time because Ron How Howard will contrast it with what is actually the reality. And that's part of the show's subversion is like the characters lying to each other and, and, and pretend like living a delusion. And part of the subversion is Ron Howard breaking down that delusion. Yeah. Um, and, and showing how, uh, Showing, get, giving us a glimpse into how <laughs> misguided the characters are. Exactly. And in breaking down that delusion, he can also maintain a critical lens even when order is restored at the end of, epi- at the end of every episode, as it must be in a sitcom. Right. Because um, it's, like, it's almost like Ron Howard's narration is always like, you know, they don't really deserve this. Like, not not the consequences, right? It's it's almost like Ron, when order is restored, Ron Howard is like, yeah, and you know how this ends. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> they don't they 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 don't deserve the happy ending, but they get it anyway. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and um and it it like there's two hundred and fifty thousand dollars lining the walls of the banana stand, and burning it down uh, and rebuilding it is like nothing <laughs> you <Right>. know <laughs> it's like they, they can have two hundred fifty thousand dollars lining the walls of the banana stand and burn it to the ground and not have to for that to be no big deal in the end really it's right. a small setback they can rebuild their banana stand empire and at the end of the day it doesn't really make much of a dent in the bluth company uh-huh. um, which is just absurd <laughs> So there's high stakes, what feel like high stakes to most people, um, put pressure on these characters and like $250,000 is a lot of money and it would help them escape some of their charges. Um, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, order can be restored at the end because at the end of the day, it's like small potatoes for the Bluth family. The, the main concept of Arrested Development though, Arrested Development it's a developing mm-hmm. company. Um, you know, they make they create developments, housing developments, um, and they the 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 CEO has been arrested, uh, George Bluth Sr. Um, but then, of course, in in proper Arrested Development form, even the title is a double entendre, where the character's development um, has been arrested, is constantly being arrested by one another, um, mm-hmm. and. Michael enables them and they in turn manipulate him and then he feels like he has to do more and and they go around this cycle and and the whole joke is that the show would end when Michael finally leaves. Um, The show would be over because Mm -hmm. there'd be no one to enable everyone else and to absorb all the the absurdity and um, and so yeah and so in that way Arrested Development is also a description of the form of a sitcom. Arrested Development like uses that form so well like as we talked about before even the name um indicates that that its purpose here is just to use that form impeccably to tell a story and to make lots of jokes right i think this is just an essential part of a successful sitcom is that you can hit the reset button um we have said that arrested development is not very keen on self-commentary um Mm -hmm. and i think 
I don't, I don't know. I'm going back and forth on that, honestly, because like there is a, there's literally a narrator. There's a commentator <laughs> through the show. So it may just be that the show is very self, uh, self-aware and has a lot of self-commentary, but it's incorporated into the form so much that it's almost undetectable. Yeah. Or maybe there's like a, a distinction between the narrator and these sort of like production elements of the show, like the title, like the narrator that can be self-commentary and the editing is definitely like a self-commentary mm-hmm. but the characters themselves are not allowed to know they're in a sitcom right and the, and, the, and the documentarian is the one who is doing the editing and right. they're a character in the show in the world of the story mm-hmm. um they're not they're not from our world they're from the world of arrested development and so it's um you know is that commentary on the show or is that literally just another character within the story world um <laughs> it's a it's an important question um but one that I think Arrested Development leaves pretty ambiguous um, mm-hmm. to its credit. Um, like, I think it makes it more fun yeah. to leave those questions unanswered. Wow. So Arrested Development is a dense show. It's very smart. We've done our very best to kind of explore a few concepts within it. But, uh, you know, of the discussions we've had so far, uh, and the discussions Mallory and I have had over the years, this one feels pretty arrested. Uh, <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard to 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 uh, like nail down this show in a way that feels satisfying and complete. You know, mm-hmm. um, this is a show we're gonna. I'm gonna be continuing to watch and thinking oh, yeah. about and breaking down. And maybe we'll do another episode uh, sometime in down in the future. <laughs> Oh man, that would be a, <laughs> quite a feat to we'll do see, another one. We'll see if these. we make any progress in that one. <laughs> Arrested Development has been Arrested Development season one, episode two has been our, our show today. Um, as always, uh, I encourage you to watch uh, the things we talk about before the episodes um, so that uh, you can know what we're referring to. Um, and, uh, uh, and of course, there will be spoilers in every episode. Uh, we should put that warning at the beginning, honestly. We really should. <laughs> and if you have any questions or comments or, or suggestions for shows that you'd really want us to watch, um, you can email us at areyouwatchingclosely_podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, send us corrections, uh, send us letters so we can we can read your thoughts on on the podcast as well. Yeah, and, but just uh, again, don't tell us how quixotic is pronounced. <laughs> <laughs> because the answer is quixotic. <laughs> so anyway, um, this has been Are You Watching Closely? Uh, our theme music is composed by yours truly, Spencer Channel. Our cover art, the photograph is by me, Spencer Channel. And then our design is by both Spencer Channel and Mallory Strom. I am the producer of the podcast. I've also done all of our editing so far. And uh, yes, I've been Spencer Channel. And I'm Mallory Strom. And we'll continue to be. <laughs> <laughs> we will be from here on out. As ever, thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.